You're listening to the Christian Union Day and Night Podcast, calling for a movement of Christians to seek God wholeheartedly for national revival and reformation. Okay, we are in the middle of a 40-day fast, and we have switched to how we're doing devotionals. We're going to be having morning and evening video devotionals as part of this. We want you to be strengthened and equipped. We want you to know the ways of God as we understand it from the scriptures in a way that's pleasing and honoring to him. My name is Matt Bennett. I'm the founder and CEO of Christian Union. Our focus is Christian leadership development at a number of the nation's most academically intense and secular universities, including Harvard, Yale, Dartmouth, Stanford, Princeton, Cornell, and others also among adults and professionals in New York City, and through day and night, Christian Union Day and Night, to people across the country, thousands of people. Thank you for being part of this 40-day fast, all of you who are part of it, that we began March 18th. It's an initiative of not just fasting, but sincere and deep and groaning prayer, as well as repentance, because we believe this is what's needed at this time. It is Easter Sunday, uh, April 12th, and we've had a full day already. I watched church online this morning. You may have as well. Here in New York City, I'm just a few blocks from the Empire State Building where this has been ground zero for the coronavirus. We have, as of today, 100,000 cases in New York City, and I think 6,000 or 7,000 deaths. This is just in New York City, not in the whole state, which is twice the deaths that happened from 9-11. I moved here 10 years ago. I lived in uh, North Jersey for 20 years before that, but thought this would be a better place for the center of Christian Union for our ministry. So I've been waiting it out here. Like many of you, I know people who've had the virus and number of relatives of friends who have died from it. So it's very, very sincere, uh, very, very serious. And it's something we got to look at and take very seriously, which is why we launched this fast. Again, thank you for doing this with so many across the country. I believe this is the response of Christians at this time. So we're looking at some scriptures here this evening. This is going to be a longer session this evening, not just three to five minutes. Uh, um, One thing I was sad about is after 9-11, about 20 years ago, there was an increase in church attendance for about a month, but then not much changed after that. A few national Christian leaders put forward some calls that the United States should repent, but even other Christians dismissed them or judged them or ridiculed them and didn't have anything to do with them. And here we are 20 years later, and New York City and the country have just gotten worse The decline of Christianity has increased. It doesn't mean there hasn't been some good Christian initiatives along the way, but overall the decline persists year by year. You have more and more people leaving the church, fewer people, even those who are in the church, they don't believe Christian doctrines, it's less and less. I know a lot of people don't wanna hear this news, but uh, we gotta know this news so that we can do something about it, and we can do something about it. Our hope is not in pretending like this isn't the case. Our hope is in our God who can turn all this around, but it depends in part on us. God is sovereign, but he is elected out of his sovereignty to allow us to play a role in seeing things change. And that's what this initial video is about. This is our first video as part of our 40-day fast, which began a few weeks ago. We're gonna look at a few things that I think you're gonna find amazingly interesting and important and poignant as we look at these scriptures. God has great uh, purposes 
and we've uh, elected to launch these video series series here on Easter Sunday because the virus is still bearing down across the nation with many, many people being affected. So as I mentioned, I believe that the response of Christians at this time is to examine ourselves and to repent of sins. This is what we're to do when there's calamities that come upon our country or our families or anything. This is it. It says in this in the New Testament that we're to examine ourselves. And if we do this, then God won't have to judge us because we've already judged ourselves. A number of Christian leaders have dismissed this notion, even calling it silly, that this would be a response, which is sad. Also, some have even mentioned the need for repentance, but quickly passed over to it and saying, uh, God's going to take care of you. He loves you, loves you. And he does, uh, in some sense, he loves all people. He came and died for us. But it doesn't mean that there isn't any judgment for Christians or non-Christians from time to time. So, for instance, in the Bible, pestilence is mentioned 52 times, 52 times. And 49 of the times, it's directly connected to sin and the need to repent. Three of the times, two of these times in Psalm 91 and once in, uh, in Luke, it, uh, it really says, it doesn't say anything good or bad. It doesn't say why the pestilence has come. It just says that if you're close to the Lord, he'll be with you, which uh, is true. Praise the Lord. But the other times, it's very explicit, a connection with pestilence and sin and the need to repent. We need to take this very seriously. There are a number of passages that reinforce this. Let me read for you Jeremiah 18, uh, verses 5 to 11. It says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, O house of Israel. Can I, do, can I not do with you as this potter has done, declares the Lord? Behold, like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. If at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. And if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it, and if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will relent of the good that I intended to do to it. Now therefore, say to the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am shaping disaster against you and devising a plan against you. Return every one from his evil way and amend your ways and deeds." Now, what's striking about this passage, it says, if at any time, any nation. It doesn't say just during Old Testament times. It says at any time. It doesn't say just Israel. It says any nation. And through Jeremiah and Isaiah, you see many nations that are either rewarded or condemned, mostly condemned because of their actions. God said, even in the Old Covenant, that this was going to be true of all times. In the New Testament, we can see this pattern continuing that God does bring judgment from time to time because he loves us and he doesn't want us to think that there are no consequences in the next life for our sins. He's very merciful this way. He's a loving God. The new covenant does a lot of wonderful things, but it doesn't remove the fact that God judges Christians and non-Christians in this life. It does, for instance, it takes away uh, eternal death, but it doesn't take away from the fact that we all physically die. We all know that. Also, because of the Holy Spirit coming on us in greater measure, because of the death of Jesus Christ, we have greater power to resist sin, but it doesn't take away sin, every Christian sins. So there are wonderful benefits to the new covenant, but it doesn't change everything. And this is one of the things that it doesn't change. I'm going to mention four examples in the New Testament 
that show that God does judge just as he did in the Old Covenant. So one example is chapter 5 of the book of Acts. You remember the story? It's of Ananias and Sapphira. They were part of the Christian community there. And what happens? They deceive Peter and the others. If you remember the story, uh, verses 1 to 6, and they said that they sold uh, a certain about amount of land for this much money. It wasn't the case. They want to make themselves look good. And they're struck down dead, Ananias and then Sapphira. They lied to God and the Holy Spirit is what it says. And then it says, a great fear came upon all who heard it. And as it should, because God is a righteous God. He doesn't always judge that immediately and that quickly. That's simply because he's incredibly merciful. But it doesn't mean that he still doesn't do it a lot of the time. We get so used to his mercy, we get so used to him passing over sins in such abundance, that we start to think that he doesn't do it anymore. And we're presuming upon his extraordinary grace, because he's incredibly gracious. A second example is with Herod in Acts chapter 12. Let me read this, verses 20 to 24. Now Herod was angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, and they came to him with one accord. And having persuaded Blastus, the king's chamberlain, they asked for peace because their country depended on the king's country for food. On an appointed day, Herod put on his royal robes, took his seat upon the throne, and delivered an oration to them. And the people were shouting, the voice of a god and not of a man. Immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory, and he was eaten by worms and breathed his last. But the word of God increased and multiplied. So you see, there was an angel of the Lord. It wasn't a Satan. It's an angel of God who struck him down. He was a non-Christian. He was struck down. Josephus, the famous uh, historian, a Jewish historian around 100 AD, he talks about this story as well. He said that Herod had some sort of gown that um, flickered in the sun and made him look really extraordinary, and he was struck down dead. So you see that God is still judging people. Many people who do things just as boastful, he passes over, but it doesn't mean he doesn't do it from time to time. Another example is in 1 Corinthians 11. This is amazing. Here the Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and they're having the Lord's Supper together, but they're doing it in a bad way. Some people are getting drunk. Some people have nothing to eat when they're all eating together. It was more than just a little bit of wine and bread. They're having a whole meal together. And because of that, God was judging them. It says this in 1 Corinthians 11, 27 to 32. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. That is the people and taking the Lord's Supper. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body and eats and he eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you, here it is, are weak and ill and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. When we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. The takeaway from this passage is God wants us to examine ourselves. He wants us to judge ourselves so that we can repent and not have to experience this negativity. Again, this is, reinforces the thesis that the Christian's response at this time of the coronavirus coming across the United States and even other places, that we examine ourselves and repent of our sins. There's another passage, a chapter earlier in 1 Corinthians 10, where the Apostle Paul says, all these negative things are going to come upon you, just like it did the Israelites, if you don't live a righteous life. He gives four examples in 1 Corinthians 10, 6 to 10. 
it says here in verse 6, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we may not desire evil as they did. So you get that? For us in the New Covenant, these things in the Old Covenant have been an example for us. It says, Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That references the golden calf. And then here, the second example, it says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. This is referencing Numbers 25, when a plague brought, uh, came out about all the people because they were involved in sexual immorality and idolatry. And Phineas, if you remember the story, took bold action to end that plague, and the people repented, which was extraordinary. He gives a few other examples in this passage. I encourage you to read it. But they were written down for instruction as an example upon whom the end of the ages has come. Let it not be said that God does not do these things today, that that's just either for the end times or that was in the Old Covenant. Not true. We see this everywhere in the New Testament. I want to give another example here in the book of Revelation. This is a fourth example. We have here Jesus appearing to John in the 90s, 95 AD. These churches are 30, 40 years old. Who knows exactly how old these churches are? And he speaks to nine, I'm sorry, seven different churches in Asia Minor. Now, five of them, he tells them to repent and he threatens judgment to them. Two of them, he doesn't, the Lord Jesus doesn't tell them to repent. That's Smyrna and Philadelphia. But the others, Ephesus, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Laodicea. That's the Christians as a group in these cities he's telling to repent. Here's an example. It's to the church in the city of Pergamum, Revelation 2.16. Therefore repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. It's not known exactly what that was going to mean, but it's not good. And it's a judgment. You see that the Lord is angry. So yes, Jesus does get angry at Christians and non-Christians to this day. If we're walking with him, if we're living a holy life, we are pleasing him. Otherwise, we are not pleasing him. There are many passages in the New Testament that show that and teach that we need to live a life that is pleasing to God. I want to give a few caveats as you think about this and you consider the possibility that this coronavirus is a pestilence from God, not even from Satan, but from God, to call the church and non-Christians to repent. Three things to mention. One is Luke 13, 1 through 6. A couple of incidents has happened. Some Galileans were killed by Pilate. Also a tower, Tower of Siloam, had fallen. And Jesus told the people, told the people, says, don't think you're any more righteous than those people simply because it didn't happen to you. He says, the same will happen to you unless you repent. So the message is, when there's a calamity and something God's wanting people to repent, those who suffer directly from it, it doesn't mean they're worse or people are uh, in need, more need repentance than those who survived. So for all those who've individually died or have a relative or something, it does not mean that. It's right there in Luke 13, 1 through 6. The message that Jesus is getting across is, is that you should repent, uh, everybody who sees these things. And this is a message God wants to give. Another thing to mention is that uh, how does this work in with God's mercy? God is amazingly merciful. He's incredibly merciful. He gives that mercy as we repent of our sins and as we turn to him with our whole hearts. That is the basis. That's how his grace is extended so much of the times. Sometimes he'll extend grace even when we don't repent. But much or most of the time, um, he waits till we repent. And he does that because he wants us to know that it matters to him. 
and that especially if you're a non-Christian, if you don't repent, you can only look forward to hell. There's nothing else for you. Heaven is for those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and no one else. Uh, so a third thing I want to mention is it can be tempting to say, well, this will pass and we'll be fine. And some people are saying that we'll get through this and pass. Absolutely the case. If you look at all of the judgments that came on Israel from way back when, thousands of years ago, you see that Israel still exists today. They're still here. Uh, the nation still exists. But it doesn't mean that God didn't want them to repent of their sins. Sometimes they did repent. Sometimes they didn't. But it's still its intention. Will we get through this uh, time of uh, the coronavirus? Yes. Is it likely that God's going to destroy all the earth right now for sin? Of course not. I don't think this is the end time. That'll happen in the end. You see Revelation, all the plagues coming across the earth, and that's a different story. I don't think we're there yet. But it doesn't mean God doesn't want us to repent, and it'll be a shame, a shame, if we go through this time of severe testing and not repent of our sins. That's not God's intention, even though he will allow it, but he'll send another judgment later on. Two considerations, too, as you consider some Christians who will say that repentance isn't needed. It's very tempting to say that. Uh, the scriptures do say that it's tempting for us to gather around teachers around who will say what our ears want to hear. This is what it says in 2 Timothy 4, 3 through 5. It says, For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. This is tempting for every person to hear things that we want to hear. It's like, I don't need to change anything. God loves me just the way I am. Things are great. It's tempting for me too. This is a temptation that we must resist. We must hear the true word of God. That way we can be healed. That way we can be changed. That way we please him and be assured of our salvation. Also, it's tempting of those in Christian leadership to say things that people want to hear. It's just a human nature. Everybody's tempted. I find myself tempted to want to say things that are pleasing to people. That's something that every person, every Christian teacher has to repent of and resist because uh, otherwise we're not doing our job as Christian ministers. There's another passage that reinforces this in Jeremiah 8, 10 to 11. Therefore, I will give their wives to others and their fields to conquerors, because from the least to the greatest, everyone is greedy for unjust gain. From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. Do you notice that? From prophet to priest, everyone deals falsely. They have healed the wound of my people lightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Now, wow, this is an extraordinary condemnation. In Jeremiah's time, he's telling the folks of Judah, repent, repent. They won't do it. They gather around people who tell them what they want to hear. The leaders, they don't want to repent. And he's calling out even the prophets and priests, even the Christian leaders, because what they are saying was, peace, peace, when there is no peace. They wound of it. They heal the wound of his people lightly. Uh, and they say they deal falsely with the people. They deal falsely because they're not telling them the truth. And in this case, they were greedy for unjust gain. And there can be a temptation, even those in Christian ministry, to say what the people want to hear so there's more people around, so then you get more money for yourself and your ministry. I'm not saying that everyone does not see it this way, has that motivation, but some do. That is definitely the case. It was true in Jeremiah's day. It's true in our day as well. 
As we look forward to this week, we're going to be continuing to do these morning devotionals, uh, but there can be video. And then the evenings, I'm going to do a little bit of a longer segment like today. And I'm going to be looking at six main sins of America. As you watch these, I encourage you to let the Spirit of God examine you so that you know that you can be clean and pure and whole before the living God. Four of these will have to do with our relationship directly with God. All sin ultimately is about our relationship with God. But the first four are more centered on that. And the second two are more centered about how we treat other people. There are many, many other sins in the Bible. I sought the Lord diligently about this and believe these are the six main sins of America. This isn't a word from the Lord per se. I don't know. This is my best judgment after seeking the Lord in prayer and humbling myself during these 40 days of fasting or a few weeks now in our 40 days. I hope you'll tune in and join this. I hope you'll let the Spirit of God touch your heart. I would hate, hate, hate for this time of severe testing to come across New York City and America and there to be very little repentance returning to the Lord. As Christians repent and turn to the Lord, Holy Spirit, he is poured out and a great awakening happens. Before every great awakening in the history of this country, of which there have been five major awakenings in the United States history, it's always preceded by a large number of Christians praying, fasting, repenting of sins, and seeking the Lord's face. When that happens, amazing thing happens. Non-Christians come to faith. Culture gets changed. There are whole books written on this phenomenon. Hundreds of universities got founded in our nation's history in the past when there have been great awakenings. Many Christians don't know the history of great awakenings in our country. Christians in other countries know it better. I talk to them. They know because they're inspired by us, and it's why their churches and their nations are on fire for Christ. So much of the rest of the world is on fire for Christ. Africa has seen 500 million people become Christians in the last 100 years. Unbelievable. China and Korea, the Pacific Islands, South America, Argentina, Chile, Colombia, all these countries, not in the West, not in Australia, not in Europe, largely not in the United States. It's time for us to join the rest of the world and get right with God as Christians in a stronger way so that his spirit will be poured out and the nation will be changed. May God be praised. May the Lord bless you and strengthen you. May you have his encouragement and peace and strength in your life. Thank you for doing this fast with so many thousands across the country. May the Lord bless you in every way. Subscribe to this podcast, give it a five-star rating and review if it has encouraged you, and visit dayandnight.org for more resources.